This morning, we're going to be in John chapter 8 as we talk about the freedom that we have in Christ. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. We're going to read, pray, and get into it. Does that sound good? Are you with me? Everyone awake? Look to the person next to you and say, wake up. We've got a long weekend, all right? Okay. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. This is God's word, and it says, So Jesus... Hold on, the AC just blew my paper. There we go. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, everyone say, my word. You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. Everyone say, the truth. Not my truth, not your truth, the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you... What is it, church? The truth. The truth will set you free. They answered, Jesus, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. If you know your Bible, you know that's definitely not true. How is it that you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. In verse 44, he then defines who their father is. Verse 44 says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let's pray together. God, as we open up your word, we recognize that your word carries authority. We recognize that your word is truth. And Father, we pray that you would speak by your word this morning. Lord, I pray that your word would shape us, that it would conform us into your image, that we would be sanctified by your word. I pray, Lord, as we talk about freedom, that you would reveal what true freedom is. I pray for the many that are in this room or at the sound of my voice that are in bondage, whether it's bondage to addiction, whether it's bondage to sin, maybe it's bondage to simply lies. God, I pray that they would experience, that they would walk in the freedom that is in you. Jesus, we welcome your spirit into this time. Would you have your way in us? In Jesus' name, everyone say, amen. Well, according to Jesus, truth and freedom are inseparable. Truth and freedom are inseparable. And this is interesting to consider because right now there are two things that our world is trying to redefine. Truth and freedom. Truth and freedom are inseparable. So the question then, what is truth and what is freedom? Tomorrow we're going to celebrate Independence Day, where this country was founded on freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom from government. And we're going to celebrate the freedoms that we have 
here in this country. And they're freedoms that we're, we enjoy. They're freedoms that we are thankful for. Yet the idea of freedom that our founding fathers had is a much different idea of freedom that is now prevalent in culture today. You see, over 200 years ago, the idea was political freedom was the gateway into a true free life. If you had freedom of religion and freedom of speech and freedom from government, then you were entering into a truly free life. But that is now being redefined today, is it not? Today, it's much different. In fact, today, there's a new narrative that's going around around freedom that wants to stop religion. No, they're saying the new narrative is religion is bondage. Speech is hate. These things are dangerous. There's a new narrative going on about freedom. In fact, I believe that this new narrative about freedom can be best summarized by this guy named Wilhelm Reich. If you don't know him, honestly, he's kind of a weirdo from the 1930s. But his ideas are now popular and have been mainstream. This was his big idea back then. His big idea was that the political question of freedom could only be answered through sexual liberation. That is now the current norm. That is now the new definition of freedom. That sexual liberation, I can choose who I sleep with and be who I want to be, that is now the gateway into a true, free, and authentic life. Notice the difference? So the question with these different ideas about freedom is what is true freedom? What does it mean to be truly free? There's these arguments going on in our world right now about freedom. Let's look to the Bible to see what true freedom looks like. Well, Jesus' words here are very, very profound. Verse 31, let's read it again. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Notice the progression there. If you abide in my word, by abiding in the word of Jesus, you will have knowledge of the truth and knowledge of the truth will set you free. Therefore, truth and freedom are inseparable according to Jesus. So as we dive into what Jesus is really saying here in John chapter 8, what I want to do is I want us to kind of go on the road to freedom in the Bible. Okay, and to be honest with you, this might be a little bit of a bumpy road. We're going to have some interesting conversations on what the Bible has to say about truth and freedom. But really this road to freedom, to understand what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 8, we need to go to the beginning of time. So, In Genesis chapter 2, we read this. We read that we were designed to be free. Number one, we were designed to be free. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it'll be on the screen, says, The Lord God took man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Everyone say, every tree. You can surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge and good good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
So from the beginning of time, God created and he created and he created. You remember the story, right? He created and it was good and it was good and it was good and it was good. And then he created man. And one of the first conversations with, that he has with man, it's here recorded in Genesis chapter 2, that man, you can have, you've been placed in the garden, you can have all of this. All of it is yours. Now think of how many trees would have been in this beautiful garden. Hundreds of trees, thousands of trees. Man could have it all. You see, man was designed. Humanity, we were designed, we were hardwired to be free. To be free there in the garden. God gave him choice. He gave him freedom there. But notice this freedom. In order to keep this freedom, God gave him one single restraint. There was one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil that he could not eat. For if he eats that one tree, then all freedom would be lost. Humanity would then be bound to death. For if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you shall surely die. And death would be the ultimate form of bondage, right? So in order to remain in this state of freedom, there had to be a restraint. That restraint, notice, was the truth. The restraint was the truth about the tree. That if you eat of the tree, then there would be death. So the truth was given to protect the freedom of mankind. Is everyone following? The truth was there to protect Adam and Eve's freedom. But we know the story of the fall. What did they do? The one thing that they were not supposed to eat, classic, they ate. That's exactly what they did. And sin entered into the picture. But this is what I want you to notice. If Adam and Eve would have abided in God's word, then they would have known the truth about the tree, which would have protected them from losing their freedom. Do you notice the progression there? It's the same progression of Jesus here in John 8. If you abide in my word, what was the word there in Eden? Don't eat of the fruit. If they would have abided in the word, then they would have a knowledge of the tree. The tree's not good. And if they would have had the knowledge of the tree, then they would have remained free. Exactly what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 8. So what's the point? The point is really simple. That we were designed to be free. That everywhere, there's, this, there's these different definitions, different ideas going on about freedom. Why? Because we've been hardwired to be free. But all these people on their quest to freedom, they can't find it. Because you must first go through the gateway of truth. You see, political freedom isn't necessarily the gateway to true freedom. Sexual liberation is certainly not the gateway to true freedom. No, truth, according to Jesus and demonstrated in the creation account, truth is the gateway to freedom. So then the question is, what is truth? What is truth? The other word that's being redefined by our culture in this very moment. And the question, what is truth, has been asked before. Do you remember Pontius Pilate there on the day of the crucifixion of Jesus? As Jesus is there before Pilate innocently, Pilate says this. He says famously, what is truth? But notice this, the not so famous words of Jesus. You see, Pilate's 
question what is truth was actually a response to a statement of Jesus. That response will be up on the screen. John chapter 18, verse 37. Jesus says this, You say that I am king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. To die for sinners? Is that what it says? To be crucified on the cross? Is that what it says? To rise again? Is that what it says? No, he says, I was born for this purpose. I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You see, in other words, Jesus is saying that the purpose he has come into the world is to reveal the truth. For he is the king of of truth. And as the king of truth, he has come into the world to bear witness of the truth. Everyone following? This is Jesus's mission. So then the question, what is truth? Well, Jesus is here defining truth for us, and it's much different than today's definition of truth. Today's definition of truth is that truth is whatever you claim it to be. You got my truth, you got your truth, we all got truth. Your truth is going to be different than my truth, and that's okay. You see, truth today is internal. Truth today is whatever I want to be true. That's true. But that idea of truth is the exact opposite of what truth really is, and then the exact opposite of what truth is according to Jesus. According to Jesus, there's no such thing as my truth and your truth. No, notice the language there, there in John 18. The truth. Notice the language here in John chapter 8. The truth will set you free. It's all about the truth. You see, truth is not subjective based on my feelings. Truth is objective. It's not found internally. It's found externally. You see, truth transcends my feelings and beliefs. Therefore, what I believe about the truth doesn't change the truth. Let me demonstrate to you. Now, I might believe that this nice table right here is blue. It's the most beautiful blue table ever. I just think that's the most beautiful blue. I believe it's blue. But my belief that it's blue does not change the reality that it's not blue. My beliefs don't determine reality. It doesn't determine truth. I do not have truth within me. Truth is not internal. It's not subjective. It is objective. It doesn't matter what I believe about the table. The reality is, is that this table is round and that it is black. It is not blue. So truth then is objective, not subjective. So what's a good definition of truth? It can be very simple. Truth is reality. Truth is the really real. And there is nothing more real than the God who is real and created or brought reality into existence. Is everyone following? So truth then transcends us. Truth is objective. It's not based on my feelings. No, my feelings don't change the truth. Truth is external. Truth is also absolute. If truth is reality, reality flows from God. Since God is true, he is the architect of truth. Therefore, once again, truth transcends what I want. So where then is truth found? We've defined truth. You guys still following me? Truth is defined as reality. 
It's not subjective, it's objective. Where then is truth found? It's found in the person of Jesus. Jesus was explicitly clear regarding this. Jesus said, I am the way, the and the life. He is the truth. He is the embodiment of truth. If you are with us on our Wednesday nights in the book of Colossians, as we've been studying verse by verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says, In Jesus lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. In Jesus, the truth is stored. So notice them. Truth is not something internal. Truth is external. Truth comes from God. So notice the biblical worldview according to what Jesus says. It'll be up on the screen. The biblical worldview is that in order to find freedom, we have to begin with God. Because God is true. God is real. He spoke reality into existence. God determines what is truth. Therefore, as we align ourselves with reality, with what is true, then we will experience freedom. Everyone got that? That is the exact opposite of what the culture is currently saying. The culture is currently saying that freedom, it starts with freedom. I feel free. I feel right. This feels right to me. My feelings then determine my truth. And then my truth has become my God. That's the idea of the culture. To where now God, meaning a transcendent God, the God of the Bible, is nowhere in the picture. No, my feelings has made its way to being the God of my world. Self is now at the epicenter of culture. And I think it even trickles in to the church. But notice the difference between a biblical worldview of experiencing freedom And a cultural worldview of experiencing freedom is that they are exact opposite. Which aligns with the Apostle Paul's words in Romans chapter 1 verse 25. Paul says this, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. You see, self has been placed at the center and the source of all wisdom and truth. Myself, yourself, is at the wisdom of, at the center of my truth and your truth and my wisdom and your wisdom. But this is not freedom. In fact, this is the exact opposite of what the Bible refers to as freedom. The Bible refers to this cultural worldview as slavery. Notice what Jesus says here in our text in John 8 verse 34. He says, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You see, our feelings are bondage. Listen, I can't even get in the car with my wife and determine where to eat for dinner. Anyone else experience like that? Like, I can't even figure out, where do you, honey, where do you, I need her restraint to say, I don't want Mexican food tonight. I want this. Okay, thank you. There, we're going that direction. Anyone else? Like, the cultural worldview puts so much pressure into us that we have to be the center of absolutely everything. Is that not exhausting? Man, that right there is slavery. You see, putting self at the center of everything is actually the essence of what Bible refers to as sin. Sin is living apart from God. Sin is choosing my way over God's way. Yet this is the idea within the heart of our cultural moments. 
We sang it last year on Freedom Sunday. I think we should sing it again. It's the words of Elsa in the movie Frozen that best defines this cultural moment. Elsa says, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. That's the message to our kids. No restraints, no right, no wrong. No, it's all up to me with self at the center of everything. There is true freedom. No, the Bible says that that is bondage. That that is a fast track. That's the fast lane to slavery. According to Jesus, we will not and cannot have freedom without truth. So in summary so far, we were designed to be free. From the very beginning. That's why everyone wants freedom. That's okay. We want freedom. We were designed for freedom. Okay. So then we have to determine how we get to freedom. Well, according to Jesus, the way into a truly free life is through the truth. And the truth is the truth, not my truth, not your truth. It's the truth that's defined by God. Therefore, in order to get to freedom, we first have to start with Jesus. We have to go through his truth, his ways, and then we will end by default, into freedom by following after Jesus. So this is what we've learned so far. The second point then, we have surrendered our freedom to a lie. We have surrendered our freedom to the lie. And this is as age old as the creation story itself. Let's continue in Genesis chapter three, verse one. It will be up on the screen. You know the story. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? The first word to define Satan, remember, we know that the first word to define anything in the Bible is important, right? Okay, the first impression. We have to know what this is. God's trying to get something across by this first adjective given regarding Satan. The first word to define him is crafty, meaning cunning, wily, deceitful. In other words, Satan's primary weapon is not inflicting sickness. It's not some crazy natural disaster. No, his primary weapon is deception. We've been learning this through our study in the book of Colossians. If you guys have been following, his primary weapon is deception. Now to be cunning or deceitful means that the enemy is very intelligent, yet malicious and intent. And this is the deal about deception. As a master manipulator, this crafty snake knows that in order to deceive, the lie must be coded in truth. Now we know this about deception, do we not? Anyone go to a friend's house and they've got fake fruit and you're like, ooh, that looks good. And you go to bite it because it looks true, but then you go to bite it and you're like, no, that's not true, all right? Or the fake plants that are everywhere now. How about this illustration? It was just the other day that I was deceived and duped. You see, my wife really likes to make homemade things. She's been making her homemade everything lately. And so she made on the same day homemade marinara sauce and homemade strawberry jam. Okay, and she put it in a very similar container, if you know where I'm going with this. And she put these things into the fridge. And the next morning, my beautiful, precious little girl, Presley, wakes up and she goes, Daddy, I want some peanut butter jelly toast. So what's Daddy do? I'm still like half asleep, okay, drinking my coffee. And I go into the fridge and I get the strawberry jam. And I put it on the counter. And I slap the peanut butter over toast. And I put the jam and I go sit her down at the table. I'm reading my Bible in the other room and I hear her go, Ugh! 
Daddy, what is this? I was like, what? And I walk over there, and you know it. It wasn't strawberry jam on that toast. It was marinara sauce. How I didn't smell it, I don't know. I was tired, okay? But I was deceived. I was duped. Why? Because good deception, if there's such a thing, the best, the evil, the, the, the greatest form of deception is to coat the lie in truth. Now enter into the story here for a moment. Enter into Adam and Eve's shoes, the classic skeptic. Well, if Adam and Eve would have never done that, I wouldn't have done that. Yes, you would have. We would have done that. We're deceived all the time. We're deceived constantly. This is going to be better than that way. How about this example of deception? You're driving, you're trying to get somewhere, and you're like, that lane's going to be faster. I know it. And you cruise over in that lane, and then, you're like just stuck in a traffic jam. The other lane just going past, and your wife says, I told you not to move lanes. Right? We're deceived constantly, all the time. Deception is everywhere. So notice, this is the adjective given regarding to the enemy, that he's crafty, that he's deceitful, that he's wily. Notice then what he does to Eve and to Adam. He says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now notice the progression. In verse 1, he questions what God says. In verse 1, he says, did God actually say that? As if implying that God was not good in trying to withhold something good from Adam and Eve. Did God actually say? The first lie comes in the form of a question. It was a lie about God's goodness. Then we see that Eve responds and she responds by trying to quote God. But notice God gave the command not to eat of the fruit of the tree to Adam. Adam had the responsibility to share it with Eve. Eve quotes it to Satan and she misquotes God a little bit. And the quote was that, don't touch the tree or you'll die. That's not what God said. He didn't say anything about touching it. He just said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree. Satan picks up on this. He's deceitful. He's wily. He's intelligent, but malicious in intent. And so what does he do then? After questioning God, he just goes straight for the kill. He contradicts what God says. You won't surely die. And then he distorts what God says. And he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see the truth in there a little bit? Coded there in the lie? God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. True? Yeah, they'll be open. And you will be like God. No, not really, because God never dies. You can't be like God. No, death is about to show up on your front door, Adam and Eve. Knowing good and evil. Oh, that part's a little bit true. That's going to lead you to shame there in the garden. But this is the enemy's master plan. is to coat a little bit of truth all over the lie in order to deceive Adam and Eve. And I think this is important regarding our text here in John chapter 8. Because notice again this verse in verse 44. Let's read it again. If you have your Bibles open, John 8 verse 44 says, You are of your father the devil, 
And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you expect to come to church this morning and talk about Satan? This is good. It's important. We need to clarify. Notice Jesus. First off, Jesus is saying that the devil is real. This crafty snake at the beginning of time is not some myth. It's not make-believe. It's not some story. No, the devil is real. He's real and he's on the prowl and his mission is destruction. John 10.10, the enemy, the thief, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus is saying here in John chapter 8 verse 44 that he's a murderer from the beginning. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. But notice his method to do so. His method is lies. He's the father of all lies. He's the originator of all lies. He is the source of all lies. This is who the enemy is. See, lies are the greatest weapon that the enemy has. He wants to lie to you. So question, what lies have you been listening to? You know, the classic one. Something bad happens. This is the deception. Truth covered up in the lie. Something bad happens. And he's like, that's bad. True. God must not love you. Not true. God doesn't love you. Maybe the, the lie when it comes to your marriage. Wives, your husband comes home. He doesn't notice that you're dressed up. Look all cute. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't give you a kiss and say, oh, honey, you're beautiful. True, he didn't notice. Lie is the lie that creeps in. He doesn't care about you. He's got someone else. He's not paying attention to you. Oh, these are the lies that are prevalent all the time. The lies is you go and you go hang out. Maybe you go to church. You go to church, there's all these people and you're just sitting there. and No one says hi to you. Classic. Happens all the time. No one says hi. What's the lie? No one cares about me. I must not be lovable. No one cares. See, the deception, these are the lies that permeate all the time. That come into our minds all the time to distract us, to lead us away from the truth, to end up binding us. This is the mission. This is the plan of the enemy. He is behind. He is the originator. He is the source of all these lies. At least that's what Jesus says about him. He is the father of all lives. So the devil's real. His goal is your destruction and his method is lies, not demon possession. Not some crazy event. Not some massive war. No, it's a, it's a war of lies. This is the way that he leads us into destruction. Notice, he lies to the woman here in the garden. Let's go back to this account. He lies to the woman to, here in the garden to Eve. And in verse 6, we read this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, what did she do? She ate of it. Notice the progression here. 
She saw that it was good for her food. This is what the Bible says is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh can be defined as the desire to feel. Okay, everyone following? The desire to feel. Then she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, which is the lust of the eyes. That is the desire to have. I want that. It's my greedy toddlers, right? I want that candy and that candy and that candy and that candy. The desire to have. Okay, lust of the eyes. Then she saw that it was desirable to make one wise. That is the pride of life or the desire to be someone greater than I am. Notice, when did sin enter into the picture? It wasn't at the enemy's lie. No, it was Eve who brought sin into the the picture. So what is the enemy's master plan then with deception? The enemy's master plan with deception is to manipulate your desires so that you will bind yourself and ultimately lead to your destruction. This is the way the enemy works. Let me clarify in the James chapter 1 verse 14 says this. Each person is tempted. Everyone say tempted. When he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived. So notice the progression. Deception to manipulate and hardwire my desires, my feelings, right? That's what the culture is all about. My truth, your truth, my feelings. The enemy wants to hardwire our desires so that we put ourselves on the road of destruction. His hands are clean. This is the way that he does things. To manipulate us. No, he can't physically control us. No, every lie is a lie that we have received from him and then we self-destruct ourselves. Are you following? This is the idea from the beginning of time that leads to our destruction. Notice God's plan is that God, he's the author of truth. And if we just abide by his word, then we would be in freedom. But Satan's plan, Satan is the author of lies. And he wants our lives then to hardwire our desires to lead us to sin so that sin would lead to bondage. This is the way that the enemy works. So let me ask you again, what lies are you listening to? What lies is the enemy telling you? And so according to the scriptures, we bind ourselves. We bind ourselves by listening to the deception of the enemy. And we're left then in bondage. Bondage is due to our feelings, due to what the Bible refers to as original sin, or that's what Augustine called it in the fourth century, original sin, the sin that lives within me to choose my way over God's way. This leads me to bondage. So where's the hope? Well, we were designed to be free, but we surrendered our freedom to a lie. But the beautiful news of the gospel that we celebrate on this Freedom Sunday is that Jesus is the gateway to true freedom. Notice again in our text, John chapter 8, verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains. So if the son sets you free, you will 
be free indeed. What's the idea that Jesus is getting across? The slave can't free himself. We in bondage to our sin, enslaved to our sins, we can't free ourselves. No, we need a savior. We need a liberator. We need the son. Jesus says he is able to make us free. Now, interestingly enough, the day that Jesus makes this statement is so cool. Jesus makes this statement as he goes, he goes into the temple. He's teaching a bunch of people in the temple. And then there's this group of religious leaders known as the scribes and Pharisees. You know this story. The scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. And they throw this woman at the feet of Jesus. Well, the scriptures doesn't say through, but she's in the midst of Jesus. So imagine they just kind of throw her there. Throw her there in the midst of Jesus. And they ask Jesus, said, this woman's committed adultery and the, according to Mosaic law, she should be stoned to death. What do you say? And do you remember the words of Jesus there in front of those people? He says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And one by one, they drop their stones and the accusers walk away. And what does Jesus do? He liberates the woman from her accusers. You see, only Jesus is able to liberate us from the bondage that we have to sin. It is only Jesus who's able to liberate us from the accusers. Notice the accusers there in that story at the beginning of John 8 is the same group of people who show up here now in our text that Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, who's a liar, who's an accuser, who's deceitful. You see, Jesus is able to liberate us from the bondage of sin. He's able to liberate us from our accusers. Why? Because he's the only one who's walked in the truth. He's the only one who has walked perfectly obedient. He has never been in bondage to anything. But what does he freely do? He goes to the cross. We're at the cross. He would take in our sin, the punishment for our sin. We, the scriptures say that he who knew no sin became sin, that we would become the righteousness of God. But what did he do there upon the cross by taking our sin? He paid the penalty that we could not pay. And when we thought that the enemy had won, had bruised the Messiah's heel, he crushed the snake's head. He crushed the enemy's head. He rose victoriously from the grave. You see, it's the son who is able to set us free. And it is him indeed. It's only Jesus who's able to do it. He is the gateway into true freedom. So if you're here today and maybe you're like, I know about Jesus. I've gone to church and I've heard about Jesus, but I've actually kind of, you know that diagram you showed earlier? Yeah, the God, truth, freedom thing. No, it's all about been my feelings, my truth. And God, Jesus, I pull some things from him because he's kind of cool, but he's not the center of it all. Let me tell you, friend, if you're still feeling in bondage, Jesus is the way through. Truth is the gateway into freedom and Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Therefore, Jesus is the gateway into freedom. Friend, you can go through Jesus today and you will finally be free and you will be free indeed. He's able to set you free. But church, many of you have been set free. Many of you have gone through Jesus. You've experienced freedom. You've experienced the freedom from the penalty of sin. 
You've kind of experienced freedom from the power of sin, yet you still feel bound. Why is that? Why as believers are we still bound all the time? Well, the reason is, is we've been listening to the lies rather than the truth. The enemy has been trying to hardwire your brain that you would bind yourself once again, that you would put the chains back on you. You don't have to do it. Notice what Jesus says again, abide in my word, abide in my truth. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Friends, we have to learn to refute the lies because this is the thing. If we do not surrender to truth, by default, we are surrendering to a lie and the lie will lead us to bondage. So what in your life, can you identify a lie? You need to find the truth and submit to the truth instead of the lie. And then as we submit ourselves, as we abide in the word of God in his truth, then we will experience his freedom. Let me close with this verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But this is the thing. He has no teeth. Colossians, we read it last week. He's been disarmed. He doesn't have the power to do anything. What does he do? He's just trying to deceive you. Don't fall for it. In order to know and understand what the enemy's doing, you got to know what God's doing. By knowing the truth, you will be able to identify the lie. So church, let's abide in the truth and experience and rest in the freedom that is found in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are able to set us free. God, I pray right now against the lies of the enemy that we have been chewing and meditating upon and that has led to our bondage. God, I pray that you would free your people from this bondage, that they would experience the freedom that is found in you. God, I pray if there's someone in this room right now that they've never actually entered in through Jesus, they've never actually received Jesus as the author of their life, as the Lord and Savior of their life. God, I pray that you would draw them in by your love. We thank you for your word that says that you went to the cross, not because you had to, but out of your love for us. You were determined to set us free. It was because of your love that you went on this rescue mission, that we would be freed from sin and from lies and to live in the truth of who we are supposed to be in reflection of you. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room at the sound of my voice that has not received you, that today they would that they receive you as their Lord and as their Savior. Jesus, help us to abide in your word. Help us to identify the lies and to stay away from them. Help us to remain in who you are. Jesus, this is what we ask and pray in your name. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen, amen, church. Well, happy Freedom Sunday. And we've got communion. Did you guys get communion on your way in? Okay, so during the song, we are going to receive communion. Where is true freedom found? It's found right here. It's because of the blood of Jesus. It was because of his body that was broken and bruised upon that cross. It was because his blood that was shed to buy us back from our sin. 
It's all right here. So let's take a moment to eat, to receive, to remember, to reflect, to celebrate what Jesus has done in our life. Does that sound good?